There is brokenness in this world, and this story is one of brokenness. Broken laws, broken people, broken hearts, broken systems. Brian Kelmar shares his story as the father of an autistic son who was charged and convicted with a sex crime. His son was convicted of having carnal knowledge or sexual relations with a minor between 13 and 15 years of age. Brian says this outcome is unjust and that the system needs to evolve and adapt to those with autism and other developmental disabilities. Now, I don't know if the policies Brian suggests are the perfect way forward or things need to change in a different way. But I do know one thing, there is brokenness here. And this is a painful story. I want to advise you as the listener that Brian does go into some detail on the interaction between his son and the minor. So listener discretion is advised. If you do choose to listen, I hope you do so understanding that there are a lot of perspectives to every situation. That doesn't mean you change your mind or that you compromise on your values, but it does mean you look for the brokenness for everyone involved. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are glad to be hearing your story and, and what you have to tell. Um, before we dive into the discussion, I want to introduce you to our listeners. You are the co-founder and executive director of Elrid, and we'll get into what that is, but it's actually shifting from a nonprofit status and, and, and it's going to become an advocacy group uh, known as D3, uh, which we will also discuss. Um, can you explain, what, wait, first of all, what does Elrid stand for? Elrid stands for Legal Reform for Intellectually and Developmentally Disabled, and it has to do with trying to reform the criminal justice system to take into account people with developmental disabilities. And now you're shifting or you're in the process of shifting to becoming an advocacy group because there's just different regulations and laws surrounding, you know, what you what you do um, to become D3, which stands for decriminalizing developmental disabilities. And we'll get more into that during our discussion of why we're renaming that and why that's an important issue. Sure. So today we're discussing the issue of how the criminal justice system treats those with developmental disabilities um, and even more specifically defendants with autism. So as we're thinking about this issue, what do you think success looks like? So if, if we have a challenge, there's, there's kind of a question of, of what the criminal, ju criminal justice system um, is doing and what it could be doing, what in your mind is a definition of success? So as I tell people, my vision really is that you don't need to talk to me and there is no organization that you need to talk to because the criminal justice system is addressing this and effectively handling it without destroying people's lives and destroying people with autism. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that's so important, what is happening in the criminal justice system today of developmental disabilities are not being taken into account in the criminal justice system. We hear about mental health issues, alcoholism, other issues, uh, PTSD from veterans uh, being taken into account. But here we have a disability, something that people are born with, 
of their brain is not operating the same as a neurotypical person, but yet we're not taking that into account. So my vision is that that the process will be how do we address this with supports and how do we prevent it from happening? And that way they never enter the criminal justice in the first place. And if they do, we have means that they can be pushed out of the criminal justice system and handled in the right way and not through prison or or, or putting them on uh, registries or th things like that. And Brian, as we are looking at this issue, this challenge of you know potentially reforming the criminal justice system um, and, and maybe even broader systems, as, as we'll discuss, who is involved? I, and how are you connected to this issue? So I have a personal issue. Uh, my son uh, got caught up in the criminal justice system about 12 years ago. And uh, he was a teenager at the time. And when he got arrested, I went, clearly, you know, with autism, he doesn't have a clue about what is going on in the criminal justice system. He doesn't really understand the situation he was in because of his autism. And they went, yes, that's fine. But we don't even take that into account until sentencing. And I was just, I, I was just floored. I said, how can you not take this into account when a person doesn't have that ability to even understand the situation? Uh, so that was shocked. And then when my son was sentenced, uh, the judge said, clearly this person has a mental disability, but unfortunately the state of Virginia does not recognize that. And that just, that's what really spearheaded me to say, this is crazy. This has got to change. Somebody's got to do something. And a lot of people say they want to try and do something or somebody should do something. Well, when the finger goes out, the finger points back at you. You can make a difference and you can make a change. And I just, I've been very passionate and I've gone after that for the past 12 years working on that. And so taking a couple steps back to some of your first comments, you mentioned the criminal justice system doesn't account for um, developmental disabilities or for autism. What do you mean by that? So a lot of the courts, a lot of the, uh, the legislators, and even some of the departments within the government, they don't comprehend or understand the difference between mental illness, something that you can be cured or treated, versus a disability. And even though you can't see this disability because it's in their brain, it's still something that they are born with, number one. Number two, they are not going to be cured. Autism hasn't been cured yet. I know there's talks of that, but it still hasn't been cured. And their brains operate in a completely different way. I tell people it's like if a Martian came in and landed on in your, in your town and said, well, you're supposed to know all the rules and understand all these things. And they go, I don't even understand what you're saying in the in your language, let alone understand what your social norms and, and your laws and everything else are. And it's just the way their brain is wired. And it's not taken into account. And I think what has happened over the years is people said, well, we need to address mental illness and we're going to do all of these programs for mental illness. But again, because of the lack of understanding that mental illness 
and autism are, and developmental disabilities are completely different. There is night and day. In fact, even we've talked about some of the 988 response teams is that we're going to have a mental health professional. Well, that person can be trained in mental health, i.e. mental illness, but they may not be trained in autism, and they probably are not trained in autism. So what you think may be, well, they're having this violent outburst is nothing more than an autistic having a sensory overload because of the lights or because of the sirens or whatever the sensory issue is, and that's the way of their fight-or-flight part of their brain expressing that this is, is driving them crazy. And you could easily diffuse situations of that situation if you know how to work with autistics. And so what I always say is that, you know, do I want a foot doctor working on my heart? Or do I want a general practitioner working on my heart? The general practitioner knows about the heart and probably had some classes. But really, do I want that person operating on, on my heart? Probably not. Well, it's the same thing with an autistic uh, you have psychologists and psychiatrists that are trained in the general, but are they specialized in that area to really understand autism? And that's the kind of the issue that we're running across. That's... And so it sounds like you're saying it's not just about the defendant. It's also about law enforcement involved um, or other emergency responders. And then I think another person we haven't really talked about is the prosecutors. Um or are the prosecutors, what was it like working with them, working with that side of the criminal justice system? Or, or you're not really working with them, but you're certainly interacting with them. Well, I had my own personal experience. And um, as part of our organization, uh, families have reached out to us. I've spoke to, spoken to over 400 families across the United States. I've even spoken to some in the United Kingdom, and we even work with Canada. And the stories that I hear over and over is they don't care. They don't care that there's a disability. And what even shocks me is I have people with intellectual disabilities. So you have someone that's being charged with a crime that basically has a mentality of a three-year-old. They don't care. Um, it's more about the win and not about what really is the right way to handle the situation which is diversion, education, um, and, it, and then we have shown that that actually works. And we certainly want to dive into those a little bit deeper um, later in our conversation. Um, but first, as you entered this, I'm sure just stressful situation to say the least, were you prepared at all? I mean, I know, you know, you're not a doctor, you're not a law enforcement officer, um, but you've been a father to your autistic child um, up until you know that point. Was this like anything else you had dealt with before, or what was the? Experience? No, there, there's a couple of things. You know, uh, people talk about uh, going into the criminal justice system, and you watch TV shows. And I've been in in a courtroom, you know, for a speeding ticket, um, you know, and that's about all I knew about the law. Um, as far as my son. Um, I was always concerned that he would be taken advantage of, whether it's financially scammed, they're easily manipulated, easily influenced. And I was always concerned that that would be an issue. In fact, I got power of attorney for his finances just for that fact. But when he got caught up in the criminal justice system, 
and I said, really, this is, this is crazy. This isn't a one-time incident. This is something that he has no understanding. And with autistics, either, it's either black or it's white. And it has to have been explained to them. They are not going to infer. They are not going to pick up on your social media or social tab, excuse me, social taboos or social appropriate behaviors. Um, they don't pick up on social cues. So even my face and my hands moving like this wouldn't pick up on that. You know, what does that mean by his facial expression or what does that mean by their hands? So they have no clue and they're entering into the system and it is a system that is not exactly what you see on TV. Uh, 95% of the cases are plea bargain. Um, the, the prosecutor uh, can be very aggressive and sometimes even more powerful than the judges I had in one case. Uh, it's the prosecutor who's really making the call. And when they throw all of these charges at you and said, okay, if you don't plea deal, um, your son's going to go away for 100 years. So you're very scared. Um, you are going through day to day just, I don't want to say frustrations, just challenges that you have with your autistic son. Then get caught up in a criminal justice system, one that doesn't take it into account. Two, people don't understand the situation. And you have no idea how the criminal justice system really works. I mean, I have parents, and I didn't even know. I go, well, what's next? Oh, well, they're going to do an initial arraignment. Well, what is that? You don't even know that until you get into the court. So it's it's so overwhelming for family members, and it's really the family members because the autistic person who was caught up in the criminal justice doesn't have a clue. Um, you know, they'll say, "Well, does this mean they're going to take away my Xbox?" No, no. Well, I get to see this person. That person's my parole officer. Oh, that's good because I get to go talk to that person. And they just don't understand the, the complexity and for their parent and certainly not for an, uh, an autistic or person with developmental disabilities. So it is so overwhelming and you can't even imagine. And parents that I talk to are devastated. I, they're in tears and, and at wit's end and very emotionally draining. To, and to the point, if there's any part that the child does understand or is explained, and I say child because a lot of them do have a child mentality when it comes to understanding social development, unfortunately, they've already had uh, a couple suicides. Hmm. I, I do want to put a plug in there. Not all prosecutors are like that. Um, I am working with some okay. here in Virginia. Uh, that uh, are working with us and trying to understand that and implement uh, changes in the system. And what we're trying to do is bring in people that can educate them, doctors, um, forensic psychologists that are trained in autism and uh, other legal teams that are trained in autism and understand so that they can take that into account. So that's a big push. And it's it's a very slow-moving uh, uh, events because it's hard to really grasp and understand about autism and how they work with each other and how they interact unless you live with a person or you know some very closely that has autism or developmental disabilities. And 
So jumping back to um, your son's specific case, could you talk about the circumstances and the charges brought? So uh, my son was a teenager. He was going off to college in a special college that uh, it wasn't a special college, but they had a special program for autistics. And he was away for the summer. Um, he had met a young lady at my younger son's uh, event uh, about six months prior. And I don't know if she liked him or something, but she got his number from my younger son and started texting him. And a lot of times with autistics, they don't have friends, and especially not any friends when they first go off to college. And at the time when he was going to college, the autism program that he was attending did not start yet because it's part of the summer school program and the autism program didn't start till uh, the fall when classes started and not in the summer classes. She started texting him. The texting started getting very um, sexually aggressive. Um, and he would answer one words like, huh, what? In fact, I mean, they were some of them, I have copies of all of them, is, were very graphic. And she even said in the text at one point, you really don't understand what I'm talking about, do you? And he went, no, not a clue. And he doesn't know how to handle the situation. And unless autistics are trained on specific new situations, um, they don't have the capability to have that executive function to process this and go, okay, this is how you handle that. They would have to say, okay, now this is not right, so you should do X, Y, and Z. And if they have not been told X, Y, and Z, um, they are actually going to follow off of the neurotypical person and think, well, I don't want to disappoint them and they know what's going on and I don't want people to know about my disability, so I, I guess it's okay. But anyway, they got very um, sexually explicit. There was talk about friends with benefits and it was the answer was like, huh, what is that? Um, and they were even more aggressive. Um, he tried to tell her, um, leave me alone. And that worked for about 24, 48 hours. And then she started up again. And then he would say, because um, he didn't know how to handle the situation to get her to back off. So then he said, I have a girlfriend and she's very jealous. Um, and that didn't work. And there was nobody there to help him. And he didn't reach out to us. He was far away. And uh, there was no, he doesn't have peers or you know, other people that he could go to that said, what is this? How do I handle this? So she said, can we meet up for a hookup? And he figured, well, if I meet with her, then she'll leave me alone. And what happened was um, he met with her when he came back, uh, picked her up. He started riding around. Um, he has uh, called spina bifida, which means he, has, he was born with a hole in his back. And it's very difficult for him to sit for a while. So he pulls over to, to just take a break because he has to move his back. Um, she starts getting very sexually aggressive. And what I tell people is his brain in the executive function can take, it can take one second. It could take five minutes. It can take 20 minutes to react because of the way this executive function. And with that, with a lot of autistics, how they react. And I tell people, it's, uh, there's a lot of sensory issues. It's like a computer. When you have all of your programs up on your computer, 
what happens? The computer freezes. And this is what happens with him. His brain freezes and he doesn't know what to do. So it's light, smells, touch, whatever it may be, this can be overwhelming. And what we say is in the sensory part of his brain, it's like firing on overload and it's just hitting him and he doesn't know how to process that. She starts getting sexually aggressive. When his brain re-engaged re several minutes and she was starting to get more aggressive, he said, stop. And he took her home. Took her home that night, um, about three, four o'clock in the morning, the police show up at our door. And when they showed up, I was asleep. His door, his bedroom was right over the door entrance. So he heard it and he came down and the police were there and they said, do you know this woman? And he went, yes. And knowing that he was in a situation that he didn't understand, he thought she was in trouble because she was getting aggressive with him. And he said, can you tell us what happened? And he said, yeah, she was doing this, this. So he thinks he's pleasing. He thinks he's, he, he is, and he's, and an autistic cannot lie. They are very, it's black and white and it's, it's hard for them to make up stories or, or change things like that. So he said, yes, she was very aggressive and this is what happened. So I came downstairs and they had already arrested him. And I said, you know, clearly he, you do realize he doesn't understand some of the things you were talking about and he has autism and this is what, what the issue is about. It. And they went, okay, thank you. And they took him away. He was arrested. He was overnight. Um, there was no autism coordinator or disability coordinator to address that when he came into the prison. Uh, we got him out the next day, fortunately. And when he came out of that prison, he reverted from pretty much his, from a teenager down to somebody that's probably like a three or five year old. We went through the criminal justice system. And again, we went and said that, hold it. <laughs> He doesn't understand, but the prosecution was very, very aggressive. The father was very aggressive as well, not so much the daughter. Um, and they were really pushing hard, and we were negotiating, and I didn't realize how much of the pretrial is done through pre-negotiations and uh, you know, trying to get a plea bargains uh, prior to that. My lawyer sort of understood, but he didn't really understand uh, autism and developmental disabilities. Um, we got, we had only met with the lawyer a lot of times, just like 15 minutes prior to going into the different uh, hearings. So when we went into the guilty, not guilty one, uh, the lawyer showed up about 20 minutes prior and he said, well, you have to plead guilty because we're doing this plea deal. And my son is very honest. He goes, but dad, I, I didn't do anything. She was the aggressor on me. I can't lie. I can't say that I did something that I didn't do. In fact, one of the charges he was charged with was actually physically impossible for him to do, but he's still charged. And so I told the lawyer, I said, well, can we do a no contest? And he said, yes. And here you are, you're making life decisions in you know, 15, 20 minutes for your son that you're afraid is just going to be just thrown away. Um, so we did. We went through that process. They pleaded guilty, um, pleaded no contest uh, because my son, I, I can't say that. And what was even more interesting, as the judge is going through and said, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand this? Do you understand that? And each time my son goes, 
what do I say? Went to the lawyer on how to say. And even very simple questions. And the lawyer would go. It's even documented in the in the uh, transcript that the, the defendant had to look to the lawyer for the answers. He really didn't comprehend what the criminal justice and what he was saying yes to. Um, you know, the bar for um, whether you're competent to stand trial is extremely low. It's basically, do you know what a judge is? Do you know what a lawyer is? Do you know what a courtroom is? Well, my son's favorite TV show was uh, NCIS law and Law and Order. Well, yeah, he knows what those are. But does he really comprehend what's going on? Um, his concern was, will they take away my Eagle Scout badge? It's like, no, this is what's going to happen. Um, we went to uh, the sentencing. We asked for a two-hour uh, time to do the case. Uh, we had a couple of uh, psychologists uh, testify that he does have autism. And even the one that was uh, appointed by the court said, clearly this kid did not have a clue. Clearly she was the sexual regressor. He has developmental disabilities. He is, is not, his chronological age doesn't really act, you know, reflect his social and developmental age. Um, and the judge saw that, and the prosecutors continued to push, and they settled for um, consensual sex uh, with a, a minor between 13 and 15 years old. And two of the charges, as I said, uh, one of them was physically impossible, but, but it was part, I guess it was part of the plea bargain. And we thought, okay, the judge is going to understand, and he did. And he said, basically, he said, look, clearly you have a developmental disabilities. I'm going to give you 10 years in prison, and all of that is on probation, and you're going to be on supervised probation. Now go back to school and don't come back here again. And he went, yes, sir. Because the judge realized as best that he could within his boundaries of the law of how much he could do. Um, he went on probation, and typically on probation, you go on probation uh, it was a five-year, but typically it's about a year and a half to two years where you have supervised probation, and usually the probation officer will say, okay, that's good. He was on it for less than 90 days because the probation officer, when we first met him, he was like, okay, you're going to do this, this, and this, and we said, hold it, let us let me explain what's going on. And he went, oh, my God, how did this even get this far? And even the uh, couple of psychologists and some of the other numerous people that have reached out, they went, how did it ever get this far in the court system? And it was it was like a snowball effect. It kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And then um, he's, he went to the judge and said, look, this kid needs to be off of supervised probation, and he needs to go back to Marshall University. And the judge signed off of it. So he was on it in less than 90 days. But what we didn't realize when we were negotiating, and the lawyer didn't know, or he certainly didn't explain it, is that he would be on the sexual registry. And not only would he be on the sexual registry, he would be on what's considered the violent sexual predator list for the rest of his life. This was a one-time incident where he had no clue what was going on, and now he's considered, you know, he's listed with real terrible people. And this kid is an Eagle Scout, and he has been a great kid. It has been devastating for our family. Um, quite honestly, of all the fighting that I've done with, through courts, or we took the case all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, 
uh, we have lost our house, our business, emotionally, uh, draining on all of the family. And he still, and I think we all have, still have PTSD from just the strain of what is going on. When this really should have been handled at the initial level when it happened, said, whoa, time out. What's going on? Let's talk through it. How do we correct the situation? Instead of, man, we've got, we've got Charles Manson here. We're, we're going to hang him. Um, and that's how they do with a lot of cases, actually most of the cases, that I hear my son's story hundreds and hundreds of times. I usually talk to probably three to five parents a week, and I said, stop right there. I can finish your sentence. I know exactly what is happening. I know exactly about your son. Good kid, never been in trouble, had no friends, always bullied, um, does not understand uh, sexual or social understandings. Um, yep, I got it. So this happens, and this is why I started this organization. So um, I will tell you, um, I'm still fighting for my son. Uh, he was given a pardon by the governor. The governor uh, realized that we had over 26 organizations, including senators and delegates here locally, national and local um, disability organizations, the ARC, Autism Societies, um, over 26 reaching out to the governor and part of the um, pardon petition or have fought for him because this case was so just unbelievably inhumane justice. It was a travesty. It really was a travesty of justice. Wow. And so now you're thinking about this. I mean, you're thinking certainly about your uh, son's case, um, but you're also looking at making change, you know, potentially for a lot of other people, a lot of other uh, sons or daughters out there. Um, and before we dive into the specifics on that, um, just one question of what do you think the purpose of the criminal justice system is or should be? I understand that the criminal justice, uh, well, I thought I understood. <laughs> it is not okay. what I thought and what it actually is, is to punish and to protect society uh, from bad people. And here, um, you're not protecting any of the society, and you're not protecting anyone, and you're not getting revenge. It's not about revenge or whatever you may think it is, but it should be. How do you correct it, and how do you take into account these disabilities? It should be about truth, the, the taking in into account all of the factors, and not just it's black and white. And if it's black, you are going to jail forever. What are the circumstances? What is, what is the situation? And it doesn't do that. It doesn't take that into account. One of the things I did realize... Um, and the reason why I got this started is I did a webinar with the ARC of the U.S., and they asked me to tell the story similar to what I told here. And as a parent, when this happened, you know, we're a regular family, suburban family, kids, and 
you know, go to soccer and all the wrestling tournaments and all the other things and uh, good upbringing. And I just couldn't believe it was happening. And I told the story and I thought, well, I'm the only one in the world that this is going through. And when we did this webinar to talk about that story with the ARC, they typically have about 100 to 150 people signed up. They had over a thousand people sign up for this webinar across the country. And the webinar could only hold so many, and there was even more waiting. And I went, oh my gosh, so I'm not the only one. And I know what it has done to me emotionally, physically, uh, mentally, to all of our family. And I and my vision is that this should never happen to another family again. And I want to do something and help change. So that's how I got involved. And other parents have uh, co-founded with me and said, who went through the same exact thing. They went, our vision is that this should never happen to another parent, what is happening to us. And Brian, I, I want to be um, particularly uh, sensitive to everything you just discussed, because it sounds like to, to call what your experience was an ordeal, it sounds like an understatement. Yes. Um, uh, you know, life-changing, really. While I'm listening to your story, and, and particularly as you're talking about, you know, the negotiations before the trial, um, I'm left wondering what is apparent on the other side of, 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 you know, of the girl in this situation or in other situations where, um, you know, it's a minor um, who had sexual relations with, you know, somebody else. And um, in, in some sense, I can empathize with, you know, depending on what their understanding of the circumstances are, them fighting for their children, them advocating for their children, um, and, and at least being concerned about their own, um, their own child's safety, uh, especially if, if the details are not recorded anywhere or anything like that. And they're just, they're trying to uh, do what's best for their child. Have you had conversations um, with people like that, with people who have kind of pushed back against any sort of reform that you're pushing for? Yeah, it's interesting. After I've told the story and they understand uh, about the autism, um, they get it. And this is, this has been prosecutors and legislation, legislators, um, I will talk about some of the legislation that I push for. And we have legislators at all spectrums, very conservative, very liberal, and everywhere in between. Well, the legislation that we got through was pretty much unanimous, and people understood it. And I think if parents on the other side were educated on autism and how their lives are and how their brain is working... You know, I ask people, if you had a three-year-old and was grabbing you and hitting you, would you charge that child? And they go, well, no. Well, what if it was your grandmother that had Alzheimer's and her brain doesn't work and she was doing certain things and grabbing you and hitting you? Would you charge that person? No, because they really don't have, they really do not have the comprehension or understanding of that situation. Well, what would you do? 
Well, in a three-year-old, you would correct the situation and you would try and train them that's not appropriate. And you know what? That actually works. And with autistic, since it is black and white, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that we have done and shown that when they are trained in a very black and white understanding of what appropriate and what inappropriate is, the recidivism amongst autistics that have been charged in these types of charges has been zero. And whether it's sexual assault or not, none of them really have been sexual assault. They've always been inappropriate behaviors or inappropriate images or whatever it may be. Um, but when they're trained that this isn't right and this is this is the social norm, they will follow that to the nth degree. They actually will be an extreme advocate. In fact, uh, unfortunately, I had one parent go so or one autistic go so extreme that they were going into these web channels of these bad places, trying to find these bad guys so that they could turn them over to the police. And in turn, no, they got turned over to the police because they were looking at. And here was this person going, this is bad. I want to go after him. I need to go save the world. And that person got charged. And we were, you know, we had to fight that. And that one still didn't end up as great as, as we expected or was hoping. So, yes, we all protect our families. We all protect our children. We all are worried about our kids being abused sexually or, or attacked or bullied or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, even when you talk about the bullying situation, if you go back typically on a bullying situation, what's really happening? Probably the kid is getting bullied at home or getting abused at home, and that's why they're bullying. It's like, whoa, okay, let's correct the situation. How do we help both of them so that they both can heal together? And not putting them in jail or destroying their lives or destroying their family's life. That's not going to do anything for anyone. It's not going to do anything for society. In fact, it's going to be more of a burden on society because someday that person's going to get out of jail and won't get a job, probably will not have a place to live, is not allowed to go into a um, nursing home later on in life. They are socially outcast, and now you have created more people and more reliance on, uh, you know, they'll need assistance, Medicare, Medicaid, or whatever it is, and Social Security, and all these things, when really, if they were taught the proper uh, ways to react and, and to handle situations, you probably would turn around that person and be in a very productive citizen and be a, a great benefit to society as well. So we've touched on a lot of different people who are involved in this situation um, and, and the the values uh, that we're trying to uphold of, of truth and protection. What are the solutions that you're proposing? So my vision when I, when I saw this, I said, well, no, what do we have to do? One, you have to, your first line of defense is actually the individual, the autistic or developmental disability. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you educate them appropriately, they will learn, and as I said, they, they are very rule-bound, and they will stay within the boundaries. For example, for my son, when he went off to college, I went, wake up, 8 o'clock, 8.15, breakfast, 8.25, class, class, stay, on and on, all the way Monday through, through Sunday. And they're very structured, and they learn that structure, and they, they, be, they work out very well. So I said, well, you have to educate the child. And when do you start? Well, you'll see uh, developmental disabilities and, and autism 
showing up even in preschool and kindergarten of inappropriate behaviors or inappropriate things that they say. Because they are very black and white, and they will say whatever is on their mind. They'll say to you, Bobby, that black shirt looks ugly on you. And you're like, well, I just met you. What are you talking about telling me how ugly I am in my shirt? That's what they saw, and that's what they'll tell you. So what I asked the legislation to do, the first law I asked for, was that you have appropriate uh, behavior education or sexual health. Uh, and it's more, it's even relationships and interactions with people, learning those things as part of the curriculum for K through 12 for any child that has an IEP. So starting in kindergarten, they will work with the child and said, well, you don't go out in the playground and just pull down your pants and go to the bathroom. No. And they learn those behaviors, and it's based on their developmental disability. Sometimes you can have a 14-year-old that could be really developed of that of a 3-year-old, and you, that's where you have to start. And you don't just do it once. I know we do you know, appropriate behaviors and sexual health, I think, in junior high or early high school. And we learn a couple basics in two weeks, and some schools don't even have that. And we said, okay, they're good. Well, guess what? Where did they really learn about those social norms and appropriate things and about sex and all that, they probably learn from their peers. Autistics don't have peers. They don't have friends. They're the weird kid. They're, they're the one that's bullied and pushed to the side. So if you start teaching this each year and continue and build on that all the way through 12th grade, you'll find that it's very successful. And that was one of the first laws that we implemented here. The, uh, the other opportunity of that education is um, kids with developmental disabilities and autism are seven times more likely to be sexually abused than the neurotypical. And the reason is, is because they're very easily uh, manipulated. They're very naive. And a neurotypical would say, no, this is appropriate. This is, this is okay for me to do this. But if they are taught this as part of that education, not only does it prevent people from offending, it teaches children to recognize when they are being abused and say, no, I learned that was wrong. I'm telling the teacher or I'm telling my parent. So we started first with the education of the families, uh, or excuse me, of the individuals, because that's really your first line of defense. And then what I, was, what I ha saw happening is people getting caught up in the criminal justice system. And since the courts were not taking into account developmental disabilities, we were able to work with one of the legislators who was already working on this that said if they go to a sentencing phase, that the judge has the uh, option to do a diversion program. In other words, the judge sees that there's a disability involved and we can get them appropriate education and we do have appropriate uh, health education courses that is that are taught uh, here in Virginia and Texas and several other places across the country. And it has been found that once they are taught that, they're, as I mentioned, they're very rule-bound and they won't change. And giving that, and then they come back in a couple of years and the judge says, okay, um, they get a report from all the people that evaluate and work with them. And they went, nope, the behavior's changed. And they'll uh, dismiss the charges or make it a lesser charge. And we found that very effective and we've, and we've been pushing for that. So then the other part was, well, what do you do with the people that are in prison? In m most prisons, and we found this in Virginia, they screen for mental illness. 
they do not screen for autism or developmental disabilities. In fact, we had one parent where the child went in and they said he was schizophrenic and he had bipolar and she hand him a stack of records. She goes, no, he's autistic. No, 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 he's schizophrenic. She says, well, I only have 20 years of data that says, no, he's autistic. And they start treating them with medicines and medications and it was, it, it really regressed their progression and their development. Um, so we said, we got a bill passed here in Virginia that says that we would work with the Department of Corrections to implement and be in conjunction, be in compliance with the American Disabilities Act to take into account autism in the criminal justice system. So the next part that we saw was the middle. They need to be taken into account throughout the criminal justice system, and you shouldn't have to plead guilty in order to be taken into account. And I just that just shocked me that in in America that people would not take that into account. We're not a third world country. Um, but so we changed the law and we said, if you have a developmental disability or autism, that this must be taken into account the moment that they enter the criminal justice system. So people can say, whoa, time out. Here's the developmental disability. Here's how the developmental disability related to the crime and why the, it was really an autistic issue. It wasn't a deviant behavior or something that they were being a bad person. It was because they got caught in situations that they did not really comprehend. They, they don't comprehend or understand. Okay, how do we handle that? Well, there's diversion. So we passed that law, and now we're working on a legislation for coming up is what about those that are out of prison and their lives have been destroyed? What do we do about them that these laws weren't in place when we, when those uh, people were charged? So what I'm hearing you say is your solution to this is first education in schools um, of the individuals with developmental disabilities. And then second, um, or, or you know, these don't necessarily have to happen in chronological order, but as a separate piece, um, addressing the criminal justice system in its various components, educating people, allowing people discretion um, within that system to act accordingly. Yeah, and then the biggest part of all this, even though you have these laws implemented, is you have to educate why and what does this mean and what about autism. So educating prosecutors, educating judges, educating uh, uh, defense lawyers, in fact, as part of the bill that we put in for recognizing developmental disabilities is that if you are a public defender and defending a person with developmental disabilities, you've had to have had training before you're allowed to defend that person. So it's working with all of the entire criminal justice system. We've worked with the Department of Corrections. Um, we presented to Department of Corrections up in uh, Northern Virginia, and they were just floored. And there's, there's some judges there's a very uh, vocal a judge in, uh, I think he's uh, head of the Supreme Court judge in Pennsylvania. There's a very outspoken uh, judge about this and taking that into account. So there are pockets of people being educated. A lot of people are working with first responders to make sure that they're not escalating situations and taking how do you handle those situations. So... It's a massive education, it's a change of law, and it's really getting people to understand people with autism and developmental disabilities.
and what I, I like, what I've seen is that we, years ago, they used to put people with developmental disabilities and autisms into insane asylums and put them away in mental facilities and say, well, they've got a disability, we can't help them, we'll just put them away. And the, we realized that's bad. That's, they're people. Uh, just because their brain doesn't work doesn't mean they're people. And they said, well, we're going to get rid of those. And they did. And they're gone. And they said, well, we fixed the problem. Well, no, we didn't. We still have people with developmental disabilities, and we still have people with autism. In fact, we have even more being recognized, and that's another situation. But we haven't put in the supports for these people to be successful and to be productive. And if they have the right supports, an autistic person or developmental disabilities can achieve as much as a neurotypical in their own sense, in their own way in life. But we don't have those supports. We, there, there's, there's too many. There's not enough funding. There's not enough um, trained people. Um, and a lot of people are not just not educated on autism. So regarding these uh, supports and programs, um, it sounds like a lot of resources might be necessary. And so whether it's looking at this to solve it completely or even just for the next steps you want to accomplish, what kind of resources do you need? Is it money? Is it um, people getting involved? Is it legislators making certain decisions? What are you looking for? It's all of the above, really. Um, we have families that have gone through this that are very strong advocates. Money, we need, uh, yes, we need to set up a larger organization than, than what we have started here so that, number one, we can educate people. We can get out to change laws. We need legislators educated on this. And as I mentioned earlier, um, once they are educated, it is not a conservative. It is not a tough on crime. It is not a political issue. It is an autism issue. And autism does not discriminate. No matter what color, no matter what religion, no matter what country, no matter what political party, Right now, it's still one in 36 people have autism. And we need to take that into account and recognize how do you handle that in the criminal justice system and how do you handle to get supports. So what do you need? You need people educated. And that's, yes, that takes time and resources. And we're not there yet. It's, it's trying to get all those people to help us build that. And it takes a movement. And that's what I'm trying to start personally with the co-founders and the other members of Elrid and what we're going to actually change the name to decriminalizing developmental disabilities because that's what we're talking about. We're trying to decriminalize developmental disabilities because if you're a developmental disabled, there's a good chance you're going to get caught up in the criminal justice system. And there's some studies that shown that that as close to 90% have had some kind of run-in with the law whether people called a weird situation or whatever it was, um, or a traffic stop and the, the kids not looking at the police officer or, you know, is, is answering questions literally. And the police officer says, well, he must be on drugs or he must be, you know, mentally ill and they arrest him. It's like, no, he's autistic or she's autistic. So, um, it's edu we need to educate the public. We need to educate the legislator, and that takes time, money. What my uh, 
thought was and still is is I live in Richmond, Virginia, and that is 30 minutes from the Capitol. Uh, so I go down and I talk to the legislators and I have been able to make change. I've told my story uh, hundreds of times to them and to others and they get it and they understand it and we were able to make laws change and I vision that Virginia, I'm, I was, I'm still hoping and we're, we're getting there to be a model for other states, roll this out statewide and federally. Um, we have a lot of federal cases where um, they have stings that they do, and they think that they're catching a bad person. For instance, they'll, they'll tell the kid, oh, yeah, I'm 18, and, and the kid said, well, look, I read on this, this app. It says you must be 18, so everyone on here has to be 18. So if I'm talking to you, you have to be 18 because that app said you have to be 18, and it's very literal. And then when they get trapped into a situation and, and the police officer or whoever's doing the sting says, yeah, I'm 18, and then somewhere along the line, they go, no, I'm 14. I was like, I thought, I thought it was 18. And, I thought, and the law says you have to be 18. So you, you're really 18. Or, and they don't comprehend that. And they said, well, I want you to meet up with me. And the autistic will say, no, no, I don't want to do, I don't feel comfortable. That, that's not right. And the, I want to say it's almost like taking candy from a baby because they're very easily manipulated and influenced and say, you're going to break my heart. I'm really going to be down and depressed if you don't come. And so they go thinking, okay, I don't want to hurt the person and I don't want them to, you know, feel bad. I'll go. And when they go, they found it a sting. Um, and that's been a big issue. Uh, we've had another issue, uh, a very a, a strange situation. We had a young a black individual. Um, he went to the library every single day. And he would wait for the library to open and go in and spend his time and read books. Well, one day, and he had his hoodie. He had a hood up. And this was a number of years ago when people wearing hoods were all bad. Someone called the police and said, there's a really bad-looking kid out here, and I think he's got a gun. And he's outside the library. And the police show up. And with a, an autistic, fight or flight is more prominent uh, for the reaction in the brain than their executive function in the front like you and I is like oh no it's the police I'll just tell them what's going on they see the police they see the sirens they see the loud sounds they see someone coming towards them yelling at them what are they going to do fight or flight they take off police are going to take off what happens they tackle what happens they tackle them someone's attacking me for the fight or flight they hit them they punch they now what happened here was a kid waiting to go to the library he got charged with the assault and battery of a police officer, uh, which is a felony and is a year in prison. He goes to the prison. He is thrown up against the wall or maybe pushed. He reacts again, hits the corrections officer. Now he has another charge on top of him. Now his charges are mounting and it's, he's going to be put away for years. The Washington Post finally picked it up, and there was a big article, and the governor finally gave him a conditional pardon, but all they did was give him a conditional pardon, which basically just got him out of jail. But he still had those charges over his head. And here he was, was just a black autistic individual that wore a hood, that wanted to go to the library, and now he has these charges and the felony hanging over his head for the rest of his life. And those things, unfortunately, happen. So those are the things that we want to change.
We want to educate police officers, first responders. And there's, there's lots of pockets of people doing that in, in various counties and cities throughout the United States. But it needs to be more. Um, and more importantly, we need a process so that if an autistic comes into the criminal justice system, it should be the exception that they go forward with the criminal proceedings and not the rule and take into account their developmental disabilities right up front. And then if it's something, if they have some, they're psychotic or some, you know, mass murder or whatever they are, yes, that needs to go into the criminal justice system, clearly. But you will find the number of people that create these horrific crimes are, are no more deviant uh, a, a person with autism is no more deviant than the rest of the population. Yes, you're always going to have a 1% or 0.01%, whatever it is, that is this mad, crazy lunatic that's going to go kill people, rob people, and do all these bad things. But you're, you're going to have the same amount of in the autism and developmental disabilities, that 0.01%. So they're not all bad guys. But unfortunately, the way the laws are, it's one size fits all. Everybody gets thrown under the bus, no matter what the charges. And that just needs to be taken into account instead. Brian, I think that's a great way for us to wrap up our conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us and just to share your story. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate it. This isn't financial, legal, or medical advice, but we do discuss how we might invest our resources for a healthier society. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and other public policy issues, check out the website, thejusticepodcast.com.